In September 2019, Bradley Wright wrote an article in Christianity Today, and it was entitled, Is America, Is American Christianity on Its Last Legs? That's a pretty good question. Is American Christianity on its last legs? And he used a recent survey of 2,000 Americans who do not currently participate in religion, or they would be considered unchurched. Um, this uh, study found that many unchurched Americans think well of Christians and are open to engaging in matters of faith. 42% of those surveys believe that Christianity is good for society. Now, maybe you wish that were higher, and maybe that has something to do with us. Think about that. 33% admire their Christian friend's faith. 67% said they'd be willing to attend a church event. The researcher concluded that the unchurched in America include a massive number uh, who are open to being invited, persuaded, and being connected to a local church. And the article uh, concludes that Christians commonly overestimate the hostility of the unchurched in matters of faith. What has been your experience when you share the good news about Jesus? Do you find people hostile, hostile to the gospel? Or, or do you find that people are really open to the gospel, to the good news about Jesus Christ? When Jesus encountered people, he encountered people that were often very open to what he had to say. They were open to the good news. But Jesus also encountered a lot of people who were actually hostile to what he had to say. And in our passage today, we're going to meet a group that was hostile toward Jesus when he shared these words. So we begin uh, in uh, John chapter 6. Now, we've been in John chapter 6 a little while. There was the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, and there was interaction with the crowds, and Jesus has this very long time of teaching and identifying who he is. And this is a, a continued part of that section. And um, I'm going to set the context just to remind us where we were last week. So I'm going to go back to John chapter 6, verse uh, 35, and that's on page 744. If you happened to grab one of the uh, Bridge Bibles when you came in, and you're always welcome to grab one. Verse 35. And if you don't have a Bible at home or would like to take one of those Bibles, just take one. Jesus declared, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given to me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. 
and I will raise them up at the last day. Kind of a big deal, the last day. Referring to the resurrection and the resurrection of the believer. So we start today in our passage in verse uh, 41, and we have this question about Jesus' origin. Where did he come from? What was his origin? So um, the problem is the audience just assumes that Jesus didn't come from heaven like he said that he, his origin was from heaven. And we see that's the limits of human reasoning in verses 41 and 42. The audience seems to know better than Jesus. They know who he is and they know where he's come from. Um, the problem is this group lacks spiritual perception. This group lacks the spiritual discernment. And we begin with verse 41. John writes, At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And so that's going to be very upsetting to the audience. They're getting tired of hearing this. They don't believe him. And when we see that term, the Jews, especially like in the Gospel of John, and in the Gospels, when you see that, it's primarily referring to the religious leaders, the key people, and they are the ones that encounter Jesus, and they want to they, they, they confront him often. They see him as a false teacher and as a false prophet, and, and they would like to find a way to get him out of the picture. And it says the Jews began to grumble about him. Now, if you know the story in the Old Testament about how God led Israel out of, out of Egypt and he led them through the wilderness for 40 years, one of the problems God, God's people had when they went through the wilderness is, is what? They grumbled. And, and God led them into the wilderness. This is where God wanted them to be. It was hard, and they got hungry, so they grumbled, and God got their attention, and he said, I'm going to provide bread from heaven. I'm going to give you manna, and so he did for 40 years, and so uh, the Jews began to grumble because of what he'd said, that he said, he's the bread, and that he came down from heaven. Verse 42, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose uh, father and mother we know? Jesus, we know who you are. You are from Nazareth. You didn't come from heaven. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you're fooling? They continue, how, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? They understand what his claim is. They just don't think it makes sense. You know, think about this. They have Jesus standing right in front of them. And he was like a pretty powerful guy. And his spiritual presence was pretty strong, I think. And they don't get it. And they have all of the Old Testament. And they have all of the Old Testament prophets. And they have the scripture that tells of the Messiah who would be sent by God, who would be born of a virgin. Um, Isaiah chapter 7 who would be born in Bethlehem. They could have found that out if they wanted to. And not only that, 
He was the one um, in Isaiah 9 that appeared as a light to people. And uh, it's very clearly the Messiah for us. A son is given. Uh, a child is, uh, is given. A son is born. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. So they have Jesus right there. And it doesn't make sense to them that Jesus came from heaven. Uh, they can only see him from a human perspective with human limits, with human knowledge. That's a problem for a lot of people. In fact, sadly, it gets to be a problem for us. We who call ourselves Christ followers and we only think sometimes in the human realm. We don't, we don't think God really does big things or he does supernatural things or that he really changes lives. Or that he really loves us. We're not sure. We really want to trust him. Uh, people in our culture look for scientific explanations of why things happen. Even where the beginning of the universe came from. There's scientific explanations. Many. And yet God says he created the heavens and the earth. So there are limits. Human Knowledge has its limits. The Apostle Paul once uh, had this same view about Jesus, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no, we do so no longer. Even Paul, Saul of Tarsus, once saw the person of Jesus, and he thought Jesus had to be a, an imposter, a false teacher, a false prophet. And he was out to uh, persecute Christians, to arrest Christians, to see them uh, executed when possible. And then something happened to Saul of Tarsus. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and it changed everything. And he got a new spiritual dimension, and he saw Jesus in an entirely different light. And the first thing he said to him, he called him Lord, because it started to make sense with spiritual understanding. Paul did not recognize, Paul was one of the smartest people about the Old Testament, and he did not recognize that there were over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament it talked about the Messiah. It talked about Jesus, that Jesus fulfilled. It will be later when he learns these things. Jesus recognizes the same problem, this, this limitation, the, 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 spirit, the lacking of spiritual discernment, the same problem with the Jewish religious leaders in front of him. He has already identified, if you go back and look at verses 35 and 36, He's already identified they don't believe. They've already rejected him. And so Jesus continues, and he describes the work of the Father in verse 43. He says, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. Here's the deal. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up the last day. There it is. The third time in this chapter that Jesus said he would raise them up on the last day. 
It's not the last time either. Jesus explains how God works. It's the Father who must draw people to Jesus. God must work in their hearts and create curiosity and to create a hunger and a thirst for something beyond human knowledge, to create a hunger to know who God really is, to know him personally, which leads to knowing Jesus personally. Jesus continues, everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. The Father must work first. The Father stirs, stirs the heart of unbelievers first. Um, and then he draws them. And then, and only then, would they be able to believe. And so God has worked in your heart. The Father worked in your heart at some point to draw you, whether you were a small child, whether you were an adult or a teenager. The Father worked in your life to create this need for you to be able to see who Jesus is and to reach out to him and to trust him. And the good news is, Father is working today. The Father is working right now. And he is drawing people, people in your sphere, people that you know. Some people are even here today. The Father is drawing people to himself. Verse 45, Jesus says, it's written in the prophets, making a reference likely to Isaiah 54, they will all be taught by God. Um, and this will be true in Jesus' future kingdom and everyone in that kingdom will know the Lord. The Father must work first, and the Father stirs the heart. Jesus, this is, wait, this is God's order, this is how God's work, and, this, and Jesus explains this process for us. It's not all about us, because this whole area is a God thing. The whole process is a God thing. Verses 46 through 51, we, we see the origin and role of Jesus. Verse 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. It's not the first time it's mentioned in John. Jesus has already said that he's from God. Jesus has seen the Father up close and personal. He has a very close and personal and intimate relationship with the Father. They have an exclusive relationship um, with his father, and he is the son, and he is the only son, the, the unique son. Verse 47, truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Now this is kind of a big deal. I hope you know from the Gospel of John already. He says, the one who believes has eternal life, right now, present tense. It doesn't start when you die. It starts when you believe in Jesus. That's when the life that he gives, it comes when we believe. It's an instantaneous gift from God, and it's total and complete 
on day one. And as we walk with God and as we grow, it sort of unfolds and it develops for us and our understanding grows and our life can change more and more to become like Jesus. Um, Now, I want to just remind us, so you just be patient with me, okay? I'm going to read some verses that you already know. And um, because it's really important, and what else we have to say about the passage this morning. So the key, uh, let me just go and say this. The word believe appears 98 times in the Gospel of John. It's kind of important. It's, it's the word believe or it's cognates. I mean, other forms, it's, it could be a verbal form, a participle, um, other forms, 98 times. I'm just going to read a couple of them for you. Starts with John 1, verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, the, the group that received him is the group that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Born again, spiritually. Okay? Now, John chapter 3. I bet you've heard of this one. Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life right now. That's the most famous passage, the best known passage in all the Bible. Jesus said that. John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus said, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, present tense right now. But whoever rejects the Son, on the other hand, will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's what Jesus said. Okay? John chapter 4. Just going to jump to the end of the chapter. And um, you remember Jesus met the, the, uh, the woman at the well, offered her uh, eternal water, and uh, she was interested and then she got so excited, she started telling everybody back in her hometown. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers because that's what Jesus was wanting to do, was to share the good news and have people believe in him. People came to faith in Jesus Christ. So this is pretty important in understanding the rest of the passage. In verse 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He's already said this. He says, your ancestors um, ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. Jesus uh, makes this claim again. He, he already said it in verse 33 and verse 35. Jesus and the audience have already talked about the bread that God provided through Moses in the wilderness, and I refer to that, 1,500 years earlier. And they just thought, this is awesome, you know, that you know, God's people are out in the wilderness, and then God just gave them food for 40 years. 
gave them enough for every day. Now, wouldn't that be great to have somebody who could do that for you, is to feed you for 40 years? Now, Jesus had fed 5,000 people just one meal. They were comparing Jesus' one meal to what happened with Moses. Now, Moses was a much bigger deal than Jesus. At least that's what they thought. But Jesus has a little bit of a clarification here. All your ancestors, he ate the manna, and they died. It was just food, physical food. It was good, provided for them, provided a physical life. But this manna did not give them eternal life. And Jesus is God's true bread of life, the bread that is far superior, the bread that gets eternal results, the bread that provides life that is truly life. In fact, it's a life that Jesus says is to the full. John 10.10, I've come that you might have life and that you may have it more abundantly or you can have it to the full. The best life possible comes through Jesus and a relationship with him. And of course, if you're not convinced, you know, just go ahead and pursue that other, those other values, those values that don't have Jesus very high. Jesus says, if you seek his kingdom first, he's going to take care of you. You're going to have life to the full. Verse 50, but Jesus says, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. If you partake of this true bread that comes down from heaven, this is a totally unique bread. If you receive this bread, you will not die. In fact, you will have life. And then he continues, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He states it again, I'm the bread. It's an I am state statement. Remember that? He's identifying with Yahweh of Exodus chapter 3. I am who I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the vine. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the sheep gate. And he's identifying who he is. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, and whoever eats this bread will live forever. Did Jesus mean this literally or figuratively? This has been a this has plagued the church for thousands of years, two thousand years. Did Jesus mean this literally or metaphorically, figuratively? He continues, the bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is speaking of his flesh, his body, which he will give for the world. He will give his life as a sacrifice for the sin penalty of the entire world. Now, they don't get that yet. They don't see that. It will be a substitutionary atonement for all sin. The audience is listening and they do not like what he has to say. 
and they are getting very upset. They are irate with Jesus. Verses 52 through 59, we have the question about Jesus' food. The question, verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's stupid. It doesn't make sense. I think he's a little bit off his rocker. That's their response. These are the Jewish religious leaders. They seek to understand Jesus in a literal way. Now, that's not always bad, is it? But we would say another name for this perspective would be these, these guys are wooden head literalists. They only have one zone, and they're not thinking very well. Uh, when you study the Bible, the goal is to discover the author's intent and to discover the meaning of what was said and written what did the author intend? And, and in this case, what did the speaker intend his audience to understand about these words? John is recording the words of Jesus. What did Jesus intend? Now, we call this approach the historical grammatical approach to understanding Scripture. And what does that mean? Well, it's important that we understand the history. What what was happening in the first century? How was language used in the first century? How was language used in the Jewish culture or the Greek culture or the Roman culture, wherever we find these teachings? How was the language used? And it's got to be grammatical, too, because God understands grammar okay, and he communicates with grammar, by the way. Whether you like grammar or not, it's important. And that approach... When you come to a figure of speech, when the speaker or the writer is using a figure of speech, like the trees of the field clap their hands, you think about that. What was the writer or speaker saying? Did he say that the tree really had hands that were clapping? Probably not. But there was a figure of speech. Jesus used figures of speech all the time. I'm the bread. I'm the light of the world. I'm the vine. I'm the good shepherd. Uh, I'm the sheep gate. Was he really a sheep gate? Well, he's, he was the way to the Father. That's what the gates are for. Um, this is what we call one of the hard sayings of Jesus. That's what I titled the message today, the hard sayings of Jesus. And we see this clearly in verses 53 and 54. Jesus said to them, and he's being very intentional, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That would have upset his audience. You, you and I might have done a double take. What did he say? What did he mean? Uh, this was such a big deal that Christians through history, started in the second century, were accused of cannibalism. They were also accused of incest because they had brothers and sisters in Christ who could even be married to each other. 
Um, and sometimes uh, this criticism, like um, can cannibalism, was sort of meant in a sarcastic way to sort of make fun. But other times, people out of fear believed that Christians were cannibals at different places at different times in history. Jesus spoke this way intentionally. He was not making it easy for his crowd because of their attitudes. He used at times, Jesus used at times, radical hyperboles. He, um, he was using extreme exaggerations to make his point. In fact, the picture is disgusting to eat his flesh and drink his blood. It was diametrically opposed to what the Old Testament scriptures taught. It would have been sickening for his audience, at least if they're going to take him literally. Jesus continues in verse 54. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life right now. And I will raise them up at the last day. That's the fourth time he said he would raise them up on the last day. What was he talking about in all the previous times that he said he would raise, raise him up? Well, he was talking about believing in him. And then he would raise them up on the last day. Jesus gives a clue about eating his flesh and drinking his blood because a person may gain eternal life. If you read through the Gospel of John, how does a person gain eternal life? There is only one way. And that's by believing in Jesus. Um, all through the Gospel of John, God has been calling people to believe in Jesus to have eternal life. Is Jesus speaking literally or figuratively about his flesh and blood? Jesus was speaking metaphorically, as he often said, I am various things. So this is one of the hard sayings of Jesus, to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. What was he saying? He was saying they need to partake in what Jesus has to offer. They need to get connected with him. They need to embrace him by faith. They need to receive him, to welcome him into their lives by faith, to trust him, to trust his message. Verse 55, the real food, Jesus says, for my flesh is real food and my, my blood is real drink. Now, those, those are hard words. But real life and he's talking about more than just physical life. Real life is through his life. And that his life will be sacrificed for the sake of the world. His life will provide life. His life will nourish life. And when we're connected with him, we can experience that nourishment that comes from him. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and I in you. And you will bear much fruit. The nourishment that comes 
from being connected to Jesus Christ. Verses 56 through 58, we see the connection with the Father. Whoever eats my flesh uh, and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. There's that concept of remaining, just like John chapter 15. Jesus, by the way, is not talking about communion. He will not institute communion for another year. He is not talking about communion. He says, if you eat this bread and drink this blood, you can have eternal life. If he were, that would mean that when you take communion, you could receive eternal life. The way you get eternal life is by receiving communion. That's not what's taught in the Gospel of John. And that's not why John used believe 98 times. Um, there is a church that believes when you take that bread and you ingest it at a communion service, you are actually receiving Christ's body. And at the words of institution, when it's spoken, this is my body, that the bread actually miraculously changes and becomes the body of Jesus. And you are actually eating the body of Jesus. And at the same time, when the words of institution are spoken about the wine or the cup, there is a miracle that takes place and um, that the wine or the juice actually becomes the blood of Christ and you actually then are ingesting Christ's blood and you have to do that to be saved. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about at all. Um, for one thing, when he institutes communion a year... By the way, the, John the writer doesn't even mention uh, the Last Supper. He didn't think it was necessary. If he thought it was the way of salvation, you could bet he would put it in there and make it clear. Um, but what Jesus institutes in the Gospels and what the Apostle Paul uh, ordains for us to practice as a church is to do this in remembrance of him. When we eat the bread, we're eating the bread. When we, we drink the cup, we're drinking the cup. And it's a reminder that Jesus died for us and he paid the penalty for our sin. Um, so just as a living father sent me, I live because of the father. Uh, life comes from the Father. Jesus' life comes from the Father. God is the creator and the author of life. And then he says, so that the one who feeds on me, one who gets connected, one who embraces Jesus, one who comes to believe, will live because of me, because of Jesus. Our life will come from his life. His life comes from the Father. We must partake of Jesus' offer to believe. When we rely on Jesus literally, that is to feed on him. You know, I'm not comfortable to say that. I don't like to say about feeding. But the idea of me drawing from Jesus and being connected to him and learning from him and taking his word into my life and seeking to follow him, well, that all makes sense to me. And that 
as I remain, as I walk closely with Jesus, I can have life to the fullest extent. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven. And so Jesus just says it one more time. He states the obvious again. This is the bread that comes from heaven. The bread is a person. He is the true bread. He came down out of heaven because the Father sent the Son. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And, and, And Jesus was the Son who existed from eternity past. Um, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Colossians chapter 1, in the beginning, John chapter 1, in the beginning, guess who created the heavens and the earth? It was Jesus. And so at some point in history, God sent him to the world and miraculously enabled Mary to become pregnant And Jesus was born, and and God entered the human race. We call it the incarnation of Christ. He came down out of heaven because the Father sent him. Jesus had some hard sayings. By the way, there are books written about the hard sayings of Jesus because some of them are pretty hard. You know, you have to spend some time when you come to them and explaining them. You know, things like, well, if your right eye causes you to sin, go ahead and gouge it out. I don't see any people with gouged out eyes. Um, he, he says things like, love your enemies. How are you doing with that one? That was hard. It was radical. Everybody knew to love people that are like you. One of the hardest ones is to hate your family members. Oh, how can that be? That doesn't sound loving, does it? Well, what Jesus was, he was a radical hyperbole, and he was saying, what you need to understand about your relationship with me, I am the Lord and your family is not. God is first and your family is not. And some of you are still struggling with that one today. He didn't want you to literally hate. He, it was a comparison is what the, the way he was using the wording here. It's a comparison. Verse 58, finally, uh, Jesus said, your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So now Jesus ends the discourse on flesh and blood. The bread that the Jewish ancestors under Moses 1,500 years ago was good. It lasted 40 years. They, they collected it every day. They made bread every day, and it was good for them. They made it. They survived, but they all died in the end because just like all humanity, they faced physical death. But the offer that Jesus makes here, the bread that he offers leads to eternal life. It leads to a life with God. And of course, uh, we come to the location that's always important. Verse 59, he said this, while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. I think it'd just be appropriate that we had a map at the end, don't you? I knew that would wake you up. So this is John chapter 6 right here. Um, Jesus was in Tiberius on the left side of the Sea of Galilee crossed over. He fed the 
5,000 on the uh, east side of the Sea of Galilee. At some point, he sent the disciples out. They they encountered a storm, and Jesus came out walking on water, and they ended up in Capernaum almost immediately. It was was a miracle in itself that they went from the middle of the lake to Capernaum instantly. And that's where Jesus is. And he's in in a synagogue, and a synagogue is a a gathering of... uh, at least 10 male Jewish people and, their, and then their families. And that's how if there were 10 uh, heads of homes, um, they required that at this location have a synagogue, a place to worship, a place to pray, a place to read scripture. And so Jesus is there and he's a, uh, a Jewish male and he's also known as a rabbi, but he is permitted to speak. He is permitted to read scripture, and he is permitted to explain the scripture. And that's where he is. And he has really upset his audience on this day. By the way, I think Jesus would like maps. <laughs> he, he, you know, he didn't let the disciples go out with much, but I bet they had a map. So the word believe appears 98 times in the Gospel of John. That's the message, is to believe what God has said about his son. John never mentions communion at all. And it just doesn't fit that communion somehow is in John 6, in my view. Think about this. The Apostle Paul, who wrote all of those letters to all those churches, never says you should take communion to be saved. And he never says that if you don't take communion, you will not be saved. Never happens. The only requirement is to believe. The Apostle Paul said in Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it was the Apostle Paul again who said, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's about trust. It's about faith. It's about believing in Jesus. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So my question this morning is that I want to end with is, how about you? Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ? And receive the forgiveness of sins. And know that you have eternal life. Have you ever made that decision? Would you like to? Very simply, it's just understanding uh, what the scriptures say. And it says that, you know, all of us are in the same boat. We, We all are sinners. Every person in the world ever born is a sinner. Including me, big time. And that there are consequences for sin, and um, it's, it's death, it's eternal death. Jesus called it hell. Uh, experiencing God's eternal wrath. I, I didn't make this up. I'm, I'm not trying to make people feel bad. It's just the truth. It's, it's what spiritual reality is. The good news is, is that 
God sent his son Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross, and he paid the penalty for the entire world. And you can hear that over and over again, and it may not make much sense. But the amazing thing is because of who Jesus is, he is God. His life is infinitely valuable, and it paid for the sin penalty of the entire world. Every person ever born and ever will be born, the sin penalty is paid for because the world's sin penalty, no matter how big it is, is finite. And Jesus' life is infinitely valuable. And so he offers today that anybody who wants to place their faith in Christ, he welcomes you to trust him, to believe what God says about his son. So I want to close this morning and just uh, give an opportunity for anyone here who has never placed their faith in Christ. One of the ways that you can express your faith is with a prayer. And so I just want to suggest a prayer to you, see if it makes sense. And if it makes sense to you, we're going to pray it a second time. So the first time, I just want you to listen. And then we'll pray it a second time. And if that makes sense to you, you can pray with me. So the prayer is going to be like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner Thank you that Jesus died for me, took my place, paid for my sin, and I trust him right now. I choose to believe in Jesus Christ. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Now, if that prayer made sense to you, I just want to ask you to bow your head with me. If you already know Jesus, you can just pray during this time. As we just bow before Jesus, if this prayer made sense, just repeat it after me. You can do this silently from your own heart. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Thank you that he paid the penalty for all my sin. And I trust him right now. I choose to believe in him. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. And now I just ask that, God, would you be in my life and would you help me to be the person you want me to be? Now, if everybody would just keep their head still bowed and nobody's going to be looking around, but if you prayed that prayer with me, would you just slip up your hand just so I can see it? If you prayed with me. Just slip up your hand. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Anyone else? If you prayed with me, just slip up your hand. Father, I thank you for those who uh, indicated they placed their faith in Jesus this morning. And Lord, um, may they know for sure that their sins are forgiven. May they experience that. May they sense your presence and... Um, that you've given them the gift of eternal life. And God, for all of us, um, we have good news. It's so important to the world we live in. Even when the world is hostile toward the gospel or toward Christianity, God, give us boldness, give us strength and endurance, and give us the love to share the good news with people in our world for the sake of Jesus. Amen.